Um, the, the scripture for today is um, from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Um, you can look in the Bibles in the pews in front of you, or it'll also be on the screen. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the gathering of All People's Church. Uh, where there are going to be sure mistakes made. I uh, forgot to print out one of the songs that was on me, uh, but it is just so good to be with you this morning. I usually uh, am leading with music, and this morning I have the great privilege of sharing the word, opening the word with you. So lately, uh, when I check my mail or I see the news in this election season, I'm confronted with solutions to our city's problems to the violence that we see, to the brokenness. And though these messages might disagree with me, I am here this morning to tell you that the solution we need is not solely a politician or the change of a political philosophy. It's not education or the promotion of human rights. Though each of these things may benefit society in various ways, today's text shows us that the ultimate problem that we face is a spiritual problem. And it's one that we were all actually born into. It's, it's a war, a spiritual war against sin. That is the chief problem that we face. And this war that each of us experience is one that is made, made up of many thousands of battles within our life. And each and every one of those battles have the potential to bring great harm, not only to us, but also to other people. We'll see today that you can't address a spiritual war with merely natural solutions. And I wanna show you today that there is only one answer to our problem, to this problem, and that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
So we left off last week with Adam and Eve exiled from God's presence. It's a dark moment in Genesis. And they're looking westward at the Garden of Eden and the tree of life within the garden, which is now guarded by an angel of God. They no longer have access to God's direct presence and the garden, which is the tree of life, is separated. They're separated from it. There's a real dynamic change in their relationship with God. There's a major change there, and yet they also have the same task even outside of the garden. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so now here they are outside of the garden. I imagine not in a beautiful place, but in a destitute place. And now under the mercy of God, clothed freshly by animal skins, by God, Adam and Eve take on the world east of Eden. And that's where we'll begin in verse one of chapter four. Read with me. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Adam knew Eve. Those are kind of strange words to describe sexual intercourse, and this is the first uh, example we have, the first mention of their sexual intimacy, and I don't think it's because this is the first time they've been sexually intimate. Instead, I think it's just drawing emphasis to the coming narrative about their offspring. I also appreciate the, the word choice here, new, and this is original to the Hebrew, which the Bible often uses to describe sexual intercourse, because it denotes intimacy, doesn't it? To know someone. It, it denotes closeness. And that's important to me, especially after what we heard last week from Sam about the strained marital dynamic. There's this temptation for the wife to rule over the man and the woman to dominate and to rule over it in an unholy way. And in this moment, we're reminded that God has a good design for sex in marriage. He has a good design, and it's one that is for intimacy, not for domination or self-service, but for intimate relationship. That's good news. And I'm also encouraged when I see this as the first act outside of the garden because there could be a moment here that they're outside of the garden. I, I don't know what your picture is there, but they're, they're now clothed. It's not, it's not them naked and happy in the garden, unashamed, but now they're clothed and they're outside in this desolate place and they could be just slinging insults to each other. How dare you? Like going over in the corner, pouting under, I guess, no trees potentially, but they're pouting somewhere and yet that's not what we see. We see a moment of reconciliation we see them coming together. And this may be an act of faith. It may be them taking up belief in the God who promised that through their offspring, the serpent would be crushed, that all of this harm that's been brought into the world by their sin is gonna be undone. How? Through offspring. So it seems that they maybe are, are walking in faith here. And I just wanna speak a word here. Friends, when you are surrounded by the brokenness and the darkness of your sin, this is not a moment to dive deeper into your sin. This is a moment to cling to the promises of God. Well, what has God said in this moment? What should I do now? Well, listen to what God said. Do what he said. Cling to his mercy. 
When we do that, we find God's grace falling on us like a blanket, allowing even life to spring up from death, which is exactly what we see here in the text. We're told that Eve conceived and gave birth to a son, Cain, and again to Abel, a second son. And if you're not amazed by the grace of God in that reality, then I want you to take note of Eve's words. Eve recognizes the momentous situation, the amazing grace that's been poured on her when she says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, that is with Yahweh's help. She gives glory to God in that moment, recognizing I was under a curse This particular area of my life was cursed because of my sin, and yet God poured out grace on me. He helped me to come through this moment. Mothers, it's right for you to praise God when you come through this intense, intense thing, isn't it? All the mothers said amen, right? help of the Lord that brings you through it. But I just want to say that this is not just applicable for mothers here. Any of us on this side of the fall who see any success in our life should say, that was grace. That was the grace of God that I accomplished that good thing. God continues to pour out grace on undeserving sinners. Yes, he deserves glory simply because he's our creator, Amen? But he doubly receives glory in that he pours out grace on those who are undeserving. Now, the scene is going to shift quickly to the brothers grown up and give you a picture of life east of Eden. Not in the lives, you don't see a lot about Adam and Eve, but you see the lives of their son and the offspring. What's going to happen with the offspring seems to be the question that the story is asking. Verse 2b, now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So both of them are, are diligently at work to try to provide for their family. They're, they're yes, suffering for the, under the curse, but God is allowing them to survive. And Abel, he keeps sheep. Cain is a farmer. And we're told in verse 3 that in the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, why do they do this? Both brothers bring offerings, right? And why were they bringing offerings to God? Well, Moses' audience, Israel, would have understood this. They were given the law and along with it, the sacrificial system. But this is long before the law has been given. And so it's good to ask, how did they know to do this? Well, I think we can only conclude that they learned it from their parents. How did they learn it from their parents? We heard last week that God had actually sacrificed an animal. Where did they get the animal skins to clothe their naked bodies? A slain, sacrificed animal. So it seems here that they've learned by God, they've been taught by God to sacrifice. And where do these sacrifices come from? It seems that they have some understanding, both that God is worthy of sacrificial worship, so they want to bring to God what he allows them to Uh, reap, but also there's a sense that they owed a debt to God for their sin. Let me ask you, is that your sense before God today? Is that how you live before the face of God today, that you recognize, I, I should give God all the glory and honor and praise and should sacrificially worship him with my life 
And I also owe him a great debt. Is that how you fear the Lord? Our heart posture affects our relationship with God. That's what we're about to see here. Verses four and five. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. I don't know about you, but this text over the years has been a little bit of a f- offensive to me. <laughs> when, I, when I read this, I'm like, wait, God, he, he, he's a farmer. It seems like a good sacrifice. Like, that's a good offering. It's relevant to his work, right? Why don't you accept him? He brought an offering. Like, through my life, I've, I've asked similar questions. Like, God, I, I, did, the, I did the church thing. Like, I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't do this or that sin. Like, why, why are you not accepting me? Where, what's going wrong here? But Genesis rebukes this thinking. If God has the authority to create reality... If he has the authority to set up the specific terms of the covenant relationship with us, does he not also have authority to judge us based on our actions? Does he not also have the right and the authority to say, this is the right heart posture, this is the right action, and this is the wrong one? God is continuing to show me this. Now, we aren't given any specifics, many specifics here as to why God rejected Cain's offering, but we do have a few distinctions. Let's compare the two offerings. One, Cain's offering is described as an offering of the fruit of the ground. Sounds pretty good. Verse four, we're told that Abel brought of, quote, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, so Cain's offering seems generic, fruit of the ground, but Abel's offering is described with these important details. Firstborn, the fat of the animal. I think what that is showing us is that Abel seems to bring the very best from his flock. He seems to bring the best from the animal. He's trying to give to God his very best, while Cain, on the other hand, has a different mode. I don't think that, that God rejected Cain simply because it, it, he didn't offer an animal here. It's possible because we know that the prescription for covering of sin in God's law is a sacrifice of an animal. But we also know in the law of Moses that God did receive uh, offerings of food and drink, but that they were to be the first fruits that were to come from these people. So I think that what's going on here is more than just the difference between an animal and fruit of the field. I think it's God knowing Cain's heart and recognizing that he is not coming with his best. I think this implies Cain's heart posture. There's something wrong with it. Perhaps he's giving here out of duty or obligation rather than worship. In fact, what he's saying in keeping back the best for himself is something about how he views God and himself. He's weighing himself by keeping the better for himself as greater than God. And friends, God knows your heart. You know that today. He knows the specific motives of your heart. So it's not just what we offer to God in worship. It's not just the thing that we offer, but how we worship it, worship the Lord with it. Isn't that right? 
God cares about the heart. He wants us to worship in spirit and truth. So does your gift today, does your gift with money or work or service, does it reflect a belief that God is supreme and deserving of your very best? Or does it reflect a heart that says, well, what's the least I can do for God to be accepted? You see the difference? In church, this is something we each fall into on a daily basis. We're each, we're each struggling to give to God our pure worship from a pure heart. I think some of us show up today in a service with impure motives. Now, Cain's response to God's rejection is going to expose his evil heart even more. Let's see how he responds. We're told Cain was very angry. And his face fell. I think Cain is feeling a sense of shame. But more, it seems he's raging. And friends, I am so often like Cain. And I think we are too. We think we're better judges than God. So we, when he doesn't accept us in a given moment, we rage at him rather than accept his judgment, don't we? Not only do we fail to give God what is appropriate, we then rage at him or others when they point out our error. Listen to the Lord's response in verse six. He says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you or to rule over you, you could interpret it but you must rule over us, or over it. First, I just wanna point out this amazing fact that the Lord speaks to Cain. They've been removed from the garden, removed from the special presence that they had, presence of God that they experienced, but still God is speaking to Cain. He's still coming to him and pursuing him. And he's speaking to him, like a father would to a child. He asks him questions. He's working to draw Cain to repentance like he did with Adam and Eve. Remember when he said, Adam, where are you? The first thing he challenges Cain with is he just says, essentially, why are you angry when you know you've done wrong? Doesn't our conscience agree with God's judgment? Do you experience that when you've done wrong, you're pricked at heart? And yet somehow we still rage against God and other people when they point it out. Our conscience agrees that we've sinned against him, but we say, how dare you, God? Next, God teaches Cain something very important that I want to focus in on here. He teaches Cain about the intimate relationship and conflict humans now have with sin. Now, mankind's relationship with sin began when our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to be judged for themselves. We've been talking about that. They chose to redefine what is good and evil. They wanted to be the rulers. And while Adam and Eve had temptation in the garden, like Cain, They did not have this particular sin struggle that God now describes with Cain. 
Notice how God speaks of the sin struggle. He says that sin is, is sort of like a, an enemy. He personifies it. Crouching, a wild animal or something, crouching outside of the door of our hearts, ready to pounce on us. What God is describing is, is something unique here. It's a new relationship that, sin, that people deal with, with sin. God says, sin's desire is to rule over you, to overtake you. And our response to it must be to rule over it. There's warfare language here, church. This is, this is God saying, you cannot be passive here, Cain. There has to be act to action in killing your sin. Sin is trying to overtake you. And church, this is what every human that has been born on the face of this earth deals with on a daily basis. We have all been born into a battle, a war, and the chief enemy is our sin, and it's, it's crouching at the door, ready to pounce upon us. The Lord is warning Cain, you cannot be passive here. You must kill the sin, Cain. The famous Puritan preacher John Owen famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Have you heard that one? He, God is, is helping us to see, and John Owen helpfully puts it into the words, that the fight for the Christian, the fight for the human, is not one of passivity, but one of active killing of the sin. I asked my wife this week, do you feel that? on a daily basis? Do you sense that there's sin crouching at the door ready to try to overtake you? And we both recount, recounted different areas where we feel that reality in our lives. Do you feel that? Church, I want you to understand that sin is never satisfied. That's part of the, the, the situation that God is describing. Now, we often think that little compromises or little sins are, are not that serious. But that, that's like saying that starting a little brush fire in the hills of California is not a serious matter. No, sin is like a consuming fire. It's never satiated. And the soul, it's like endless kindling until the thing is utterly, until our soul is utterly destroyed. That is, unless we put out the fire. Sin is not easily reversible. When we take the wrong course of action, when we begin to let the door just barely creak open, we're told sin takes a mile, like it goes for it. It flings the door open and pounces on the human and destroys. This is not a half in, half out sort of experience we're in, brother and sister. We must be on a side. We're either killing sin or being killed by the enemy. Instead of killing his sin, instead of leaning into God's mercy, Cain gives way to sin. Look at verse eight. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Seems that he has plotted his murder and is luring him into the field. And we're told that when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. 
I was struck again this morning as I was reading this story that God so mercifully came to Cain and warned him and, and explained, here's what you gotta do now, Cain. And yet he quickly disregards it. The next thing we see is him going and luring his brother into the field and killing him. And church, it just, it just caught my attention because so often we have the Lord through our conscience or through a brother or sister or some other means saying, no, stop now. Kill the sin before it kills you. And yet what do we do? We walk straight forward into the sin. Like Cain. This is a tragic moment in the story of God. This is the first recorded death, and it comes as a result of murder, of sin, of someone allowing sin to overtake them, to master them, and cause not only pain for the individual, but also on others. Sin has become Cain's master. And this is true for all of us. Anytime that we're not submitted to God as master in everything, sin is ready to just take control over us. I think every one of us here understand what it's like for sin to snowball in our life as we make little compromises. And as we give way to sin, as we submit to the serpent and look like him and allow his deception to lead us, it it undoes life. Church, sin begins to undo the life in us, the life we have with God, the life we have with others in relationship. And we begin to say, the same thing begins to happen in our relationships, in our life. When we give way to sin, it leads way to division and war and racism and murder. That's why we're seeing so much of it in the news today. People give way to their sin. That is the big Issue. In verse 9, the Lord again pursues Cain with a question. He says, Where is Abel, your brother? Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, God gives Cain an opportunity to repent here, to, to own up to what he's done, and instead, Showing his slavery to sin, he just adds sin upon sin. He lies directly to God. And then he deflects. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain's sad excuse is telling of of our nature, isn't it? We're so quick to ignore the suffering of others, but even more, we're so quick to deflect the suffering that our sin causes others. We deflect the sin or the suffering that we've caused. That wasn't me. I didn't have anything to do with that. What does that person's suffering have to do with me? Friends, I think think Cain's rhetorical question is a lie. He implies, I'm not my brother's keeper. Friends, we are our brother's keeper. I believe that God's command in the garden to, to... Keep the garden is a very broad and general command to us to look after those who are around us. 
Adam was meant to keep the garden in protecting his wife from the serpent, protecting his wife from the lies of the evil one. And likewise, church, when we have friends, family, neighbors who are struggling around us, it is our job in some way or the other to care for our brother, our sister. I think this is where we see the the summation of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The person right next to you is your problem. The person in your home, the person next to your home, in in the cubicle next to you, they they are yours to look after. Verse 10, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. God is calling Cain out directly here. You murdered your brother. Cain thinks he can hide. He thinks that he can deflect. And God says, listen, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. He thinks he can get away from God. And God is like, that inanimate object is speaking to me about your sin. It's testifying right now about what you've done. That's crazy. And it's showing us that nothing is hidden from God. Nothing is hidden from God. We are only kidding ourselves if we hide from our sin. Nothing gets by the judge of all. Every dark action will be revealed in time. Listen to how God responds. Verse 11, he says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. I need you to see that breaking relationship with God always has consequences. We see God deal out curses on mankind at the first sin, and now again in the giving in to sin, there is, there is curses. And here are the two curses. He says you're cursed from the ground. That is, the ground which has already been cursed is gonna grow even more difficult for Cain. And two, God says that he will live as a fugitive and a wanderer on, wanderer on earth. Not only is he gonna struggle to survive on earth, he is gonna struggle in his relationship with humanity. He will constantly be running from others. I want you to hear this, church. God sometimes doesn't bring devastating judgment on us, but sometimes he, he still increases our struggle in life as a result of our sin. And why does he do that? He does it as a merciful warning to us that sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. And he does it, I say, mercifully because he doesn't want us to suffer ultimate condemnation, ultimate separation from God, which is after death and in hell forever apart from him. And I'm not saying that everyone here that's facing hardship is facing hardship as a result of sin. I hope you hear that from us consistently. Sin and hardship are not always one-to-one, but sometimes God does bring hardship as a result of our sin. And if you are here today and you're in unrepentant sin and you find life just feels like a burden, consider that God may mercifully be chastising you, disciplining you as a son to warn you and bring you back to himself. And don't be deceived and think that if your life is free of hardship today, that God accepts you. 
I assure you, you can eat and drink and be merry all the days of your life and find that you are facing eternal damnation for your sin when you meet God. That's very clear in scripture. God is a good judge and he brings judgment on Cain here. Now listen, listen to Cain's response, verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, well, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Man, I hear my own voice in his pity party there, don't you? How often do we, we blame God when consequences come on us for our sin and we say, we say, Lord, you're not a good judge. That's too harsh. It's too much. Rather than responding with humility and fear and repentance, we accuse God of injustice. One thing Cain get right, gets right here is the devastating nature of being hidden from the face of God. And yet, even in this statement, I think that his concern, his sadness seems to be more about his own prosperity and how he's going to suffer than a concern for his relationship with God. Is that what your response to sin looks like? You're more concerned with the consequences than the fact that your relationship with God is severed and you brought suffering on others as a result? Look at verse 15 with me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You should see in this moment the merciful character of our God. Instead of destroying Cain or honoring the man who might kill him for his sin, God promises sevenfold retribution on the man who does. I hear in this the... the the phrase from scripture, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You see, God is not interested in, in a cycle of, of murder and revenge, murder and revenge. Don't you love that about God? That even though man murders another, he says, I am not interested in man trying to take revenge. And yet, though God protects Cain in this situation, he is still driven further into exile away from the presence of the Lord. His life is spared just as Adam and Eve's life was spared in the moment and yet you see this situation that Sam described last week as the most intense and horrible consequence that God brings. That is to be driven further and further outside of the presence of God. Separation from God to be exiled from God's presence is to have your life undone. And it's to plunge into deeper and deeper in sin, which the, the Bible, is. this story is gonna continue to show us. There's an important theme that's emerging in this story. The offspring that is supposed to be victorious that was promised in Genesis 3.15 over the serpent often aligns with the serpent plunging into deeper and deeper sin. I don't have time to get into uh, 
I, I couldn't, I had to shrink my text a little bit here because it was just too much, but Sam is going to give you a, all you can handle next week in genealogies, and uh, I know you're very excited about that. But we're going to see two lines that are following either the path of the serpent or those who are calling on the Lord. And while Adam and Eve's first two sons would be, uh, one would be killed and one would, would uh be given to sin's destructive path, there is hope. There is hope. The promise still remains, and we're going to see that as Adam and Eve continue to have children. But even in the children of God, even those who call on the Lord, we're going to see the story unfold as the weeks go on. We're going to find that even they or overcome at times by sin. There is not one man on the face of the earth who overcomes sin, who fights sin perfectly. Even the great heroes of the Bible fall short. I don't know about you, but every time I read the Bible, I'm like, man, it just gets bad and worse every time. Like every single story is about how they fall short. And that's the point, church, because it's all leading us to the fact that we need a savior. That we're all condemned to die for our sin. That none of us have given God his proper place. All of us have become slaves to sin. Have been overtaken. Have given way. And it's caused harm to us and to others. When asked by an interviewer what the problem with the world was, J.K. Chesterton famously said, I am the problem. Church, we are the problem, every single one of us, and we need a savior. We, in our sin, have caused pain and destruction to ourselves and others. But we've been proclaiming each week that there was an offspring who came, an offspring who was the second Adam, who lived in this world sinlessly. He was tempted, the Bible says, as we are, and yet was without sin, He overcame as God called us to overcome. Christ did it. He alone lived a completely righteous life. He was tested and he overcame and he won the war against sin. But yet he died too. He went to the cross. He too was cast away from the presence of God. And why? Why was he murdered on the cross? Well, it wasn't as a penalty of his sin. It was because he loved us, church. Amen. Did you know that, the, that, that Abel's blood has something in common with Christ's? Abel's blood has something in common with Christ's. You see, Abel's blood testified. It spoke to God against Cain. And do you know that Jesus' blood is also testifying today? For those who reject him, it's testifying to the reality that, they, that we have sinned, deserving death. But for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, it's speaking a better word. It's saying, the penalty is paid, God. It's all done. The blood that is shed, my blood spilled, means that they don't have to die. <laughs> Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And it means that we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to deflect our sin. 
Abel's blood only had the power to testify against Cain. Jesus' blood has the power to testify for us that we are saved, set free from our sin. The penalty has been paid in full. Amen? That's what Hebrews says. We've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Friends, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed, and his blood was sprinkled on his church, on all those who profess faith in him so that we don't have to hide. And that blood, which should condemn us, it is actually rewriting our story for us. It's speaking of a future in the kingdom of God. It's speaking of victory over sin. It's speaking of a life with God that is not defined by this war anymore. So how should we live in light of this truth? I want to simply call you, everyone here, to take up arms and engage in the fight against sin again. And how? Well, the answer is not to to pull your, as they say, the straps of your boots up, and I'll do this, I will. No, but the answer is in Christ. It is the gospel. Abel knew this well, too. Abel was not accepted because he was a perfect man. No, he came offering blood before God. He came clinging to the mercy of God, and we too must cling to the mercy of God. I made a mistake for many years of my life and often make the same mistake to look at myself. Instead of clinging to Jesus, I look at myself, and when I sin, I just, I just get mad at myself, and I figure out, like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do it? I become a navel gazer, as they say. I'm just looking inward at self, But friends, the Bible, that's not how the Bible gives us power to overcome. The Bible ties our victory over sin tightly to faith in Jesus. Ties our victory over sin to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't overcome, let me say this differently. Perhaps you are not overcoming sin because you're looking at yourself instead of Christ. I want to charge you to focus on your baptism In this story that God is writing for you, that Christ is testifying today that you died in him when you went down into that water and you rose up from death when you came out of it. That if we are in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are able to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. Praise God. He not only calls us to take arms and fight against sin, but he gives us everything we need to do it, doesn't he? everything we need. He gives us the blood, pays for the penalty, gives us the Holy Spirit that we might overcome. How are we going to overcome, church? It's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Finally, just notice how God keeps coming after us over and over regardless of our sin. But hear this. There is a day when mercy stops. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. And anyone who's in unrepentant sin or has not held fast to Jesus will be separated from God eternally. So if that's true of you, I want you to cling to Jesus today. I want you to repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus. Allow him to give you strength by his spirit to overcome. This is the only answer to sins to the, to the problem of sin in the world's violence and brokenness. So let's call on him now overcame and be thankful for what he's done and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Christ has come, that you have sent your son, and Lord, that you lived a life perfect for us, and you took the curse that we deserved, you took the penalty that we deserve, and thank you, Jesus, that your blood is testifying on our behalf today, that we're free, that we're washed, that we're clean, and we can walk in newness of life. So help us, God. We pray, help us to cling to Jesus and overcome sin. We pray this in Jesus' name.